two readings this morning. The first is from Job, and the second one is from Colossians. Let's hear from God. Job chapter 40, verse 6. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Raise yourself like a man, I will question you, and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's, and can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor, and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in the dust together. Show their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that you, your own right hand can save you. Look at Bohemoth, which I made along with you, and which feeds on grass like an ox. What strength it has in its loins, and what power in the muscles of its belly. Its tail sways like a cedar, and the sinews of its thighs are close-knit. Its bones are the tubes of bronze, and its limbs like rods of iron. It ranks first among the works of God, yet its maker can approach it with his soul. The hills bring it to their produce, and all the wild animals play nearby. Under the lotus plants it lies, hidden among the reeds in the marsh. The lotuses conceal it in their shadow, and the pulpus by the stream surround it. A raging river does not alarm it, it is secure, though the Jordan should search against its mouth. Can anyone capture it by the eyes and trap it and pierce its nose? Can you pull in the leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose and pierce its jaws with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as your slave for life? Can you make a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young women in your house? Will traders barter for it? Will they divide it up among the merchants? Can you fill its hides with harpoons and its heads with fishing spears? If you lay a hand on it, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subducing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heavens belongs to me. I will not fail to speak of Leviathan's limbs, its strength, and its graceful form. Who can strip off its outer coat? Who can penetrate its double coat of armor? Who dares open the doors of its mouth and ring about its fearsome teeth? Its back has rows of shields tightly sealed together, each is so close to the necks that no air can pass between. They are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. Its snorting throats out of flashes of light. Its eyes are like the rays of dawn. Flame streams from its mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds. Its breath sets coals ablaze and flames start from its mouth. Strength resides in its neck. Dismay goes before it. The folds of his flesh are tightly joined, 
They are firm and immovable. His chest is hard as rock, hard as a lower milestone. When it rises up, the mighty are terrified. They retreat before its thrashing. The sword that, it reach, that reaches it has no effect, nor does the spear of the dart or the javelin. Iron it treats like straw and bronze like rotten wood. Arrows do not make it flee. Slingstones are like chaff to it. A club to it put a piece of straw. It laughs as the rattling of the lens. It undersized a jagged potsherd, leaving a trail in the mud like a threshing sledge. It makes the death's charge like a boiling cauldron and stirs up the sea like a potting pot of ointment. It leaves a glistening wake behind it. One would think the deep had white hair. Nothing on earth is at its equal, a creature without fear. It looks down on all that are haughty. It has king over all that are proud. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things that I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My years have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Second readings from Colossians, chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over them by the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, good to see you. My name is Adrian. Uh, people call me Fox. You can follow along on the back of your outline or bulletin. It has a few points here. Um, but I did want to mention one thing. You might, if you've been around these sermons, you would know that I like quoting Christopher Ashe. That's because he's written a commentary on it, and I really thoroughly recommend it. If you want to go back over Job, uh, this would be a great thing to do in Term 3. Uh, really, really helpful book. Uh, there will be some Ash quotes today. Uh, and, I mean, I, I don't know how you're going with the book of Job. I, I think it has been a bit of a marathon. Marathons are kind of hard. Uh, and especially when you get to the 35 kilometer mark, it's where the mental game kicks in. I almost wonder if all of Job has been like, we've started at the 35 kilometer mark. It's just hard. Because each week we talk about suffering, and it, it can feel like we're running against, a, hitting a bit of a, a wall as we, as we run through it. And so today we will speak of suffering again. Uh, and next week, uh, as we finish it, even though there's kind of a resurrection uh, at the end of chapter 42, there we'll still talk about suffering. So it's been a difficult time because uh, we need to think about suffering, but I do hope it's been a helpful time. Uh, so enjoy our second last week in Job. Uh, let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this book. Uh, we thank you that it uh, does really uh, hit us. It helps us to think about suffering and evil in our world, and it helps us to see who you truly are. And so we pray this morning that you will again speak to us, uh, show us how you are bigger than anything we know and more trustworthy than uh, anyone else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, one of the things about suffering I thought about this week is how suffering can make you feel powerless, powerless. I think feeling powerless has got to be one of the worst feelings. Uh, maybe you've had that experience when you've played against a team in sport, which is way more powerful than you. Uh, it can be quite demoralizing. Uh, my year eight rugby team, we knew that feeling very well. Uh, the only word I can use to describe my year eight rugby team was small. Small, small, small. Uh, I could probably add a few more, actually. But we lost pretty much every game, and we probably hold the record for the worst loss of all time at Barker, 109 to 0. Uh, it was terrible. By half time, we just started, it was at the time of Forrest Gump, we just started yelling to the other team, run, Forrest, run. And they smashed us. But, uh, you know, we were powerless. Like, the whole season, we were just powerless against our rivals. It was not a good feeling. And on a deeper note, I imagine... Uh, you might know the feeling of powerlessness as you read the news. Uh, we are powerless to bring change against evil governments. Uh, maybe even uh, we thought this week we saw these arrests for drug dealers across our globe. Uh, but, you know, there'll just be more drug dealers that rise up into their place. We're powerless against that kind of evil. Maybe as you endure broken health powerless to bring healing or maybe as you suffer a broken relationship powerless to bring about reconciliation it's hard to face things that are so powerful things which we have no chance of standing up against things that make us weak or feel weak things that we cannot control or change I don't reckon anyone likes to feel powerless and yet as we face off suffering and evil, that's often how we feel, powerless. Uh, it can make you want to give up. And so it's really important to know that there is someone more powerful than evil. There is someone more powerful than suffering. There is someone who can even use suffering and evil for good. And that is something that we learn today in the book of Job. Uh, in the book of Job, Job, he suffers intensely. He's experienced the full power of suffering and evil. His possessions taken away, his family killed, except for his wife. Even his skin has been attacked. He is a man as described as blameless and upright, fears God and shuns evil. And so we can't understand, why has God caused him to suffer such evil? Why uh, suffer undeservedly? And so if you've been with us, you've heard his cry. He's cried out against God's plan and re repeatedly he's cried out against God's justice. Uh, we've heard him speak, we've heard his friends speak, and finally, uh, in these last chapters of Job, God speaks. It's the climax of the book, it's the moment that Job's been waiting for, if you're a reader of Job, it's the moment you've been waiting for. I'd even say it's the climax of our lives in general, is to hear God speak. And so he speaks, and so we need to listen carefully. But the thing is, when God speaks, he doesn't give Job answers. Uh, rather, he invites Job to know him to look around the world, the wild animals, and to trust him. That was last week's speech. In this second speech, God again calls Job to look, you know, but this time, look at two terrifying monsters. And essentially, he asks Job the question, can you end untamable evil? Or in other words, can you bring about justice? I think justice is the key theme uh, of this first speech, our uh, second speech. Uh, God's question in verse 8, if you've got it open, he, he asked the question, would you, Job, would you discredit my justice? My justice, sorry. Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Now, I, 
God asked Job that question, I can kind of imagine him wanting to just hide away. Maybe if he was where you are, he'd just slide under the chair and hide under there. Because this is what Job has done. In chapter 9, Job accused God of blindfolding the land's judges. In chapter 19, he claimed that God had wronged him. And so, yeah, Job has disputed God's justice. And so now God engages Job, and like last week, he questions Job. Verse 9, do you have an arm like God's, Job? Can your voice thunder like his? And after this verse, he invites Job to be God. You know, he invites Job to put on the godly robes and then to rule the world with justice. Now, I've led quite a few youth Bible studies in my time. Uh, one of my favorite questions is, if you were God for the day, what would you do? Uh, normally, the answers center around canceling homework and pulling off some awesome pranks. Uh, but I, I wonder, if I ask this question to you with a little more focus, if you were God, but without his power, how would you do justice? How would you answer that? It's a, it's a pretty overwhelming question. Because even if you can come up with a system, without the power of God, you cannot enact it. You could not, verse 11, look at all who are proud and bring them low. You could not, verse 12, simply crush the wicked where they stand. God is showing Job that Job does not have the power that he needs to do the justice he wants. He does not have the power to end untamable evil. And to prove this point, he asked Job to not look at the world, but to look at the behemoth and the Leviathan, two terrifying monsters. And so we're going to look at them as well. Look at the terrifying monsters that God made and tames. I've just finished reading the second Harry Potter with my daughter Kate. Uh, in this book, there are two major monsters. One is a giant spider who has a family of spiders. And one is a giant snake that kills by simply staring at you. Uh, snakes and spiders, J.K. Rowling, you genius, two things that everyone's scared of, but she enlarges and makes even more scary. They are terrifying creatures. Uh, and as I read to Kate, she squirmed, and at points she would like hold me tighter, and it, even she would put her head under the blankets. And she was scared. I mean, I was scared. And this is kind of what we get with the behemoth and Leviathan. They are monsters that terrify they are monsters that are out of control, and they are monsters that make us feel powerless. They are monsters that are as scary as the injustice that Job feels. And God says to Job, look at these monsters, verse 15. Look at Behemoth, the super beast. It may eat the grass of the field like an ox, but this is no mere ox. This is not a farmyard animal. Its legs are strong, its chest muscular, its tail is like a tree, its bones are bronze and iron. It is powerful. If we were to come across it, I'm pretty sure we'd run the other direction. But God, verse 19, its maker approaches it with a sword. He walks towards it, carrying this sword as if he might destroy this powerful beast. See, what is strong and overwhelming to us is weak towards God. Next, in the next few verses, you can see this beast is hidden in verse 21. And this kind of adds another level of fear. It's hidden among the reeds in the marsh. The lotus plants conceal it in their shadow. This monster hides in darkness. It's one thing to have a beast which you can approach in daylight. Uh, it's a whole other thing for the beast to hide so that you can never be sure where it's near. It's a strong but hidden beast, a terrifying beast. 
No human can capture it or trap it. But God can, because God's its maker, and he approaches with sword. That's the behemoth. Uh, next, our attention is drawn to Leviathan. Uh, unlike the behemoth where God starts with a description and then asks the question uh, whether anyone can capture it, uh, this section works the other way around. First, there's questions, and actually lots of questions, and then the description. It has the effect of putting in the middle of this section the truth that God tames and controls terrifying monsters. It seems this is the key truth that God wants Job to hear. He wants you to hear. Terrifying monsters, terrifying evil, terrifying power, they are restrained by God under his control. Uh, the Leviathan is tamed. In the second half of this chapter, it's clear the Leviathan is powerful beyond comprehension. He is the king of the proud, but in verses 1 to 7, uh, he is certainly not powerful or full of pride. Before God, he begs for mercy. Uh, before God, he speaks gentle words. That's verse 3. In verse 5, it's almost comical what God asks of Job. Can you make a pet of it like a bird? Or put a leash for it, the young woman in your house? It's like this terrifying Leviathan is a puppy to God. And can you imagine it? Imagine walking up Willoughby Road with a, a crocodile on a leash. Or, or maybe you buy your, your toddler a wild tiger for it to be its little toy in your house and it just walks behind you and it begs for scraps of the table this is what the leviathan is like to god and it's very very different to how a human might approach leviathan in verse 8 if we were to lay a hand on it we would remember the struggle and we would not do it again kind of like touching a hot stove and it's actually kind of worse than that uh, you would never get close enough to touch it because the mere sight of the leviathan verse 9 is overpowering us humans before Leviathan, we lose every time. But God treats it like a puppy. God is helping Job see he's more powerful than the most terrifying monster. He's helping Job see he tames terrible evil and it is under his control. Verse 12 to 34 of chapter 41 uh, it describes the Leviathan in terrible detail. It has a diamond defense. Uh, God asked Job, who can penetrate its double coat of armor, verse 13. It's like this monster is sort of a snake or a reptile of some, some kind. It has scales which is covering its body, but these scales, they're no ordinary scales. Verse 15, it, its back has rows of shields. They're sealed together tightly, so close that no air can pass between them. They are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. You know, unlike a Smog the dragon in The Hobbit, uh, there is no weak spot in this dragon. The, the Leviathan has diamond defense. And it has awesome attack. Verse 19, flames stream from its mouth. Verse 21, its breath sets coals ablaze. Australians know the power of fire. We've seen fire tear through bushlands, destroy homes. This creature holds fire in its mouth. It breathes fire, it breathes havoc, and it is strong. It's strong in its neck, it's strong in its chest. It thrashes before the mighty, the warriors, verse 25, and they run in fear. Diamond defense, awesome attack, unbelievably unconquerable. And you know, verse 26 to 29, every weapon I reckon the ancient world could think of is, is thrown at it. Sword, spear, javelin, arrows, slingshot, clubs, 
lances. They're all there in verse 26 to 29. They all have no effect. This monster, it cannot be defeated by human hands. Diamond defense, awesome attack, assured victory. It's a creature without equal, verse 33. It's a creature that's full of pride because nothing compares to it. It's verse 34, it's king over all that are proud. And I think this is the point to remember God's challenge to Job at the beginning of this speech. He said to Job, if you can bring the proud low, then you can save yourself. Job, if you can bring the proud low, then you can do the justice you want. And so this picture of the Leviathan is showing Job, he can't do it. Job, you can't do the justice you want. You're not powerful enough to bring the proud monster down. No human is. Christopher Ash writes this about chapter 41. The point of Job 41 is to make us tremble at the awesome and foul power of the prince of evil. If we thought evil was bad, when we come face to face with Leviathan, we realize it is infinitely more frightening that we had thought. You cannot begin to take on the problem of evil, Job, and you know that. But I can, says the Lord. Narenburn 10 a.m., it is okay. It is okay to feel powerless in the face of suffering and evil. You are human. It's kind of what it looks like to be human. But thank God we know our God who can and does take on evil, who keeps a leash on evil. In knowing this, how does Job respond? He sees God and he finds comfort. Take a drink break. Okay, Uh, 42 to 1 verse 6. I think this is the last time we hear Job speak. And he responds uh, a second time to Job. I think maybe when you read this the first time, you think, oh, he's just responding to this last speech. I think it's more likely that Job is responding to last week's speech and this week's speech. Uh, God said, look around the world, all the wild animals, look at these terrifying monsters. And now Job says, verse 45, after looking around, after God has given him a vision, he says, verse 5, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. After this speech, after God has shown him who he is in the world and with these monsters, he has a bigger and fuller revelation of God. In the past, he'd heard of God. He'd heard enough about God to know how to live an upright and blameless life. He'd heard enough about God to know that sacrifices pleased him. But now Job sees, he sees. Like the blind men in the gospel who Jesus gives sight, Job now sees And he sees God more fully than he ever has before. He sees that God is good. Uh, One author writes about these chapters. uh, At the heart of the universe is no remote, chilling, mechanical deity, but the loving God of Job. He then quotes Dante and says, It was love. It was love that moved the earth, the seas, and the stars. God, in these chapters, is wise beyond compare. Uh, In our chapters today, he's more powerful than terrifying evil. He restrains evil like a pet on a leash. He uses evil for his purposes because it's part of his world. He does what Job cannot do, restrain evil and do justice. 
And Job's seen this. He says in verse 6, Therefore I despise myself. Job knows a lot about despising himself and being rejected. If you've been with us this series, you might remember chapter 9. His, his suffering caused him to, to despise his own life. In chapter 19, he's been despised and rejected by others. He knows about being despised. So how now, after seeing God, does he despise himself? I wonder if he despises the words which he has spoken. He despises the words he spoke against God's plan and justice. Now that he is seeing God, he rejects calling God unjust. Now that he is seeing God, he is confident that even evil, even the evil that he has faced, is restrained by God for God's purposes. And so, he finds comfort in the dust and ashes. The translation before you probably says something more like, I repent in dust and ashes. But if you have an ESV, uh, you can see it in the footnote. It says, am comforted. The Hebrew word allows this translation. He's comforted in dust and ashes. And in chapter 2, he was lamenting in dust and ashes. After seeing God, he's comforted in dust of ashes. And I, I think this makes sense because unrestrained... Out-of-control evil is scary. Now, Christopher Ashey, again, he puts it really well in a story. He says a walker enters a farmyard and is terrified by wild dogs, yapping, snarling, snapping around his ankles. He's scared. And the question he's bound to ask is, are these dogs restrained in any way? Are they on a leash? Is there an owner who can call them off? As Job suffers, his greatest fear is that the monster who attacks him is unrestrained, that the attacks will go on forever with unrelieved ferocity, and that the monster has been given free hand, unlimited access to Job in his life. He's afraid there is no sovereign God who has evil on a leash. But there is. When Job grasped that, he is filled with awe. He's comforted. And so Narrabun, 10 a.m., like Job, see God. See God for who he truly is and find comfort. And lastly, trust God as he restrains evil. Uh, the final point today, I, I think it's really hard. I don't know if you noticed this as you were hearing the reading or as we've talked. It's hard to see how these monsters fit into our world today. Some say the behemoth is a hippopotamus and the leviathan is a crocodile. Uh, this may be possible, I'd, but I don't know uh, that many crocodiles that breathe fire. That's a problem. Uh, and one author also asked this question, how does a hippopotamus solve the problem of suffering? That's a good question. Now, I think there's something more to these monsters. I think it's likely that the Leviathan represents Satan. Uh, Job has already made this connection between Leviathan and evil. Uh, back in chapter 3, he cried for the day of his birth to be cursed by those who rouse the Leviathan. Evil, curse, and Leviathan kind of go together. Add to this, the last book of the Bible, Satan is depicted as a great dragon, the ancient serpent. Job, without knowing it, has encountered Leviathan. We know it because we've read chapters 1 and 2, but Satan, Leviathan, has attacked by the power of Satan's hand, it struck Job's possessions and family. And like a raging Leviathan fire, all of Job's life was destroyed. 
Satan was proud, like Leviathan. In the heavenly courtroom, he stood above God and accused God that Job only worshipped God because of the things he had. And importantly, Satan, like the Leviathan, was kept on a leash by God. He was only able to do what God allowed him to do. You know, restrained by God. Now, Behemoth, a little harder to nail down. An argument can be made for Behemoth representing death. A powerful, hungry creature lurking in the darkness, waiting to claim its victims. Death and Satan are terrifying and they are powerful. Death wreaks havoc and I am very aware that I have no power to stop it. Satan, I don't think as much about him, but I'm very aware of the power of lies, which is his main weapon. I've seen lives collapse in a heap because people have walked away from truth. If Satan and evil are unrestrained, I'm scared. If suffering is out of God's hand, I'm freaked out. It would make suffering and evil more powerful than God. But today we have heard God speak and mark these words, there is no such thing as restrained, unrestrained evil. There is no such thing as unrestrained evil. It can feel like it. It can look like it. But God has evil on a leash. Like undeserved suffering made no sense to Job, God using evil for his purposes might make no sense to us. But we have seen God. We have seen Jesus Christ. And we have seen evil that appeared untamed. Imagine you were there at Jesus' crucifixion and you saw an innocent man who did great and excellent things, who claimed to be the Son of God, hanging on a cursed Roman cross. Evil. You know, imagine you were there and the, the pagan Roman soldiers and the religious Jewish leaders, they united together in mocking him. Evil. Imagine you were there and you saw the afternoon sun being claimed by darkness, evil. At the cross, it would appear if, as if evil was unrestrained. It would appear as if evil was more powerful than God himself. But no, there is no unrestrained evil in this world. God tames evil and uses evil for his purposes. And so in that evil moment, as wicked men, Acts 2.23, as wicked men put Jesus to death by nailing him to the cross. This was God's deliberate plan. Evil was on a leash, used for God's purposes. Jesus Christ died an evil death, but in that evil death, Satan lost his power. He no longer can accuse of sin. He no longer can hold the power of death over us. Because in that evil death, our sins were forgiven and we were made alive. In that evil death, Colossians 2, God triumphed over evil. Now remember at 10 a.m., as we suffer, it may feel as though suffering and evil is more powerful than God. But the cross shows us that even at the most evil point of all of human history, evil was restrained. This means as we suffer, 
as we sit with others who suffer, we may with absolute confidence bow down to this sovereign God, knowing that while evil may be terrible, it cannot and will not ever go one tiny fraction beyond the leash which God has put it, and it will not go on forever. And so like Job, when we sit in dust and ashes, take comfort and trust in our good God. I'm going to pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for these words to us today. We thank you that you paint such vivid pictures of terrifying evil. And we thank you that you've shown us that there is no such thing as unrestrained evil. And so as we suffer and as we feel powerless and we feel weak in the face of it, might we see you and know you and trust you, the God who restrained evil on the cross so that we might be forgiven and, uh, and know your goodness. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.